This is Dr. Deanna Minapachi with Team Headmir, and thanks for listening to ENTN a Nutshell. If you'd like to stay up to date on our latest content, please follow us at Headmir underscore com on Instagram and Twitter. Now on to the next episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Business of Medicine series on ENT in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Ashley Nasiri, and today we're joined by Professor Linda Ginzel to discuss leadership development. Professor Ginzel, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Professor Ginzel is a clinical professor of managerial psychology at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. She specializes in leadership, managerial psychology, and executive development. She has received numerous accolades, including the Einhorn Excellence in Teaching Award in 2019 and the Impact Professor Award in 2014. The bulk of her extensive research focuses on deliberate leadership training and understanding leadership in the context of one's own background and experiences. Her book, Choosing Leadership, helps readers develop leadership capital, which we'll go into further today. It's an absolute honor to have Professor Ginzel here with us today to provide a deeper understanding of what leadership really means to each individual and how it plays a role in our careers and how we can go about more deliberately improving our skills. Professor Ginzel, let's start with some broad questions. How do you define leadership and more specifically a term that you coined, leadership capital? Uh, That's actually the uh, million dollar question. It's not necessarily how do I define leadership, but how do you define leadership? How do we each think about what that word really means to us? So I'll tell you about leadership capital in a minute, but with regard to the definition of leadership, you know, there isn't one agreed upon consensual definition. No one has the right answer. And we often go around looking for answers. Answers are, are lovely. We, uh, they make us feel comfortable. We want to believe that, that they're out there. So we pay a lot of money. We read a lot of books. We listen to a lot of experts. And I don't think there's anything wrong with getting knowledge in this way. I mean, I'm a professor myself. I teach. I, I believe in, in um, this kind of knowledge. But when it comes to leadership, there's so many stereotypes and so much bad information out there, in my opinion, that um, I always help my students start by thinking about what's their definition of leadership. So um, it's kind of a trick question for you to ask me, what is my definition of leadership? And maybe I might hold on to that and give you an answer to that toward the end so that your listeners will be able to think about their own definition while we're chatting. Would that be all right with you? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So let's hold on to that. What I'd like, I mean, it would be amazing for me if people would just think about what is their own definition of leadership as you and I are having this conversation, and then we'll come back to it at the end. With regard to leadership capital, you know, I'm at the University of Chicago. At the University of Chicago, you know, the economists uh, coined the term human capital, which is the knowledge, skills, and abilities that we carry with us, you know, they're, they're our own capacities. They, they go with us when we walk out the door. And that's the value that we contribute or that we have as individuals. Uh, the sociologists here coined the term social capital, which is the uh, value that comes from relationships, both, you know, weak links and, and strong ties. And I decided in the spirit of um, this um, tradition to develop what I call leadership capital. So uh, that's sort of the history or the, the symbolism behind the term. And the way I define it is the courage, capacity, and wisdom 
to choose when to manage and when to lead. So there are five words there, really, right? Courage. We have to think about how do we develop our courage to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do or that are difficult or risky in order to lead. Capacity. That has to do with our human capital, social capital. That has to do with our action skills, our insight skills, all of the um, abilities, knowledge, skills that we have to put into practice. Wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge. It's more than knowledge. It's actually, I think, the ability to extract uh, the gist or a deeper understanding from any knowledge that you might acquire or seek and how to uh, use that in a way that contributes to your goals and hopefully contributes to society and to creating more meaning in the world. And then decision and the decisions that we make in general, obviously, are consequential. But in this case, the decision of when to manage and when to lead. So that has to do with the differences between what is management and what is leadership. And you touched on this a little bit already and maybe some of the misconceptions about what it means to be a leader. But can you go into maybe some of the characteristics of someone who would be considered a successful leader or someone who is doing a good job of making the decisions that you just mentioned? Mm, That's another trick question you're asking me, Ashley. So I have to tell you that as a social psychologist, as my, my discipline, we really focus on the attributes or the elements of situations and how situations affect people's behaviors. And personality psychology is more likely to focus on the attributes or traits of individuals. And so my approach in teaching and in learning more about leadership is as a behavior and as a skill that we can develop and that we can each, um, well, I say be wiser younger. (laughs) So you're never going to be younger than you are today. Um, But we can be, neither am I, we're all all aging, which isn't a bad thing. Um, But as I think about what my contribution is or what I try to do in the classroom is to try to help my students and hopefully your listeners now to be wiser at a younger age. So in order to learn the lessons of experience younger and to be able to benefit from it over the course of our lifetime. So in being wiser, younger, what I hope that people will will try to be, learn to be a little more like, to think a little more like social psychologists and a little less like personality psychologists in the sense that I think it's more useful for development, for professional and personal development, to think of leadership skills and behaviors rather than leadership traits and attributes. So having said that long caveat to the answer to your question, I think that probably everyone has their own list of what they think are important attributes, traits. I think behaviors are really important because behaviors are the basis for skills and skills benefit from practice. So depending on what your definition of leadership is, Depending on what your personal situation is, are you leading a team? Are you managing an organization? Are you dealing with external? Like, what is your personal context for leadership? That will help to determine which are the skills that you have already, maybe at some level, but might want to work on to develop in order to be more effective. Um, So I don't think there is a generic list 
of uh, skills. I think that each of us has to figure out what we need to learn to do better, to make a bigger difference. And we have to do a lot of that work on our own. As I said, we love to get answers from other people and it would be easy to give you a definition and to say, these are the five traits and this is it. But that would be really not only disingenuous, but it would be, uh, I mean, it's very not useful in my opinion. Right. And I think your answer kind of touches upon some of the more stereotypical behaviors that may be attributed to leaders. Can you go through some of those misconceptions um, and how they might impact how students may try to develop specific behaviors that they believe may be helpful in leadership? So a couple of things. One is for your listeners also to think about what stereotypes come to mind when you think of a leader or what image comes to mind, right? So a lot of people have an image of what a leader looks like or what role or position a leader holds. And then they say, well, I'm not that person yet. You know, I teach incredible students uh, like yourself every day. And um, I have students who tell me, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to, to be a leader yet. I mean, I've just been a manager. Someday I will be a leader. And I just, I just think it's such a waste, a waste of capacity, a waste of, of opportunity, because these stereotypes that we hold um, make us think that we aren't yet capable of making a difference in the world, that we define leadership in some way that's reserved for some elite, someone who is, I don't know, male, blonde, tall, handsome, extroverted, uh, has a big title, has a big budget, you know, has a has a perfect smile, whatever, whatever it is that people think a leader looks like or think a leader is. I think that these are the kinds of stereotypes that keep us from being wiser younger. These are the kind of stereotypes that inhibit our options and our choices. So those are some of the stereotypes. I think, you know, other obvious ones that leaders are born, not made, which I try to dispel with my mini lecture on the difference between social psychology and personality psychology. Sure, maybe some people are born with it. And if they were born with it, whatever it is, then they're going to have it independent of the situation they're in or independent of what education they have. I mean, they've just been born with it. But even if you believe that some people are born with it and some people are born without it, well, most people are not in these two extremes. Most of us are somewhere, you know, think of a, think of a normal distribution, right? You've got minus 2% maybe was born without it, plus 2% is born with it. So those people, they've either got it or they don't. But then there's the 96% of us between these two extremes. And we all have the opportunity, the ability, capability of developing our leadership capital. And so that's that's kind of how I think about these stereotypes that they, um, so, so the ones about what leaders look like and what jobs they hold, there's the ones about whether you're born with it and whether you can develop it and whether anyone can become a leader. And then there's the other stereotypes that have to do with what what is leadership, uh, like leadership has to be transformational. You have to be able to change the world. It has to be big, uh, big outcomes. But that's also not true. We can make small choices every day that allow us to exhibit our leadership behavior. And why is that any less leadership? So I call this sort of the myth of leadership with a capital L. Um, We can have lowercase leadership and, and the cumulative effect of small choices that we make to lead can have a huge impact, especially over the course of, of our lifetime. 
Right. So we start to reframe the definition of leadership to be a cohort of behaviors rather than a personality trait that someone is born with. And we start to think about leadership development more as a development of certain set of behaviors. But to kind of get back to the center of all this, why is leadership important and why is it something that we should work on? Oh, it's so interesting that you asked me this question of why leadership is important. Many people assume that leadership is what it's all about and don't even ask the question, what is leadership, right? So I think it's interesting that you even question this notion of why should we care about leadership? And I think it's a wonderful question because it really depends, again, what we mean by leadership. And so I think a lot of people aspire to lead or to be called leaders or to be leaders, but don't really think about what is the cost? What is the benefit? What is the reason to want to become a leader? And, you know, let me step back again, back to my students who say, you know, someday I'll be a leader or, you know, I have students who tell me, you know, I really want to be a leader and I know I need a vision to be a leader. So where do I get a vision? How do I get a vision? You know, as though we could go to the store and purchase a vision, you know, like a ready-made garment of clothing or something. And I think it's so, this goes back to your question about stereotypes and what do we think about who leads and how we lead. So what I would tell you is that there are behaviors where we manage and there are behaviors when we lead. And I think about managing as being in the present. And this isn't just about work. This is about your family. This is about your community. This is about how you engage, how you use your talent, your intellect, your abilities in the world. And I think that's what leadership is all about, the choices that we make in order to create a better future. So I just went ahead and gave you my, my definition of leadership. Um, it's the behavioral choices that we make in order to create a better future. So you see that my definition doesn't have anything about team or about various things that your definition might have or that other definitions you've heard might have. But for me, this is the definition that works. The choices, the behavioral choices that we make to create a better future, to create more meaning in our lives, to make a difference. In order to do this, we have to figure out what does it mean to make a difference? Like, what is it that you want to put your energy and your talents towards? So I have to tell you one more thing. The, the, you know, we're at the University of Chicago, and the motto of the University of Chicago, there are two parts to it. The first part is, let knowledge grow from more to more. So the question is, wh- why do we want knowledge to grow? What is the point of of growing knowledge? To own it? To possess it? To display it? What is the purpose of growing knowledge? Knowledge knowledge is like butter in the hot sun. You can collect it all you want and it can disappear. It can evaporate. The second part of the motto of the University of Chicago is so be human life enriched. So the motto is let knowledge grow from more to more so be human life enriched. The question is, to what use do you put your knowledge? How do you enrich human life? This is the answer, in my opinion, why leadership is important. I don't know what you think enriches human life, but you should. You should know that. You should figure that out. Because what we're doing is putting our knowledge, our talent, our skills, our humanity, everything we are, everything about us to enrich human life. And so... Knowledge and action, right? Knowledge and action. And this is why leadership is important because we have to decide to what do we 
put our energy and effort. And if we don't decide for ourselves, then we end up doing what other people want us to do. You know, this is this is what happens to a lot of us, uh, a lot of smart, capable, successful, talented people, the people that are listening to you, to us right now. We can do all kinds of things. We can do almost anything we want. <laughs> and, you know, what happens is we do things and we get, you know, we get on a path and we get this degree and then we get this job and then we do these things and it's all great. And we can do it because we're smart and we can be successful. And we do this and we get status and we get all these great things. And it's all wonderful until it isn't. Until one day someone, well, it's usually, I think, like a midlife crisis, right? People say, why am I doing this? What does it mean? What, what's the point of all of it? And I think that if we ask ourselves that question when we're younger, we can avoid this crisis. We can make better choices when we're younger. We can make better choices. We can develop the skills that will enable our outcomes, that will create future outcomes that are more meaningful to us. We'll basically have a more meaningful life. And so this is how I'm hoping to make a difference in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to seed a grassroots leadership development movement. I want people to take more responsibility for their own growth, for their own outcomes, and to realize that they have many more choices. And that's why I, everything I think about or do has to do with, you know, when do you choose to lead? To kind of get back to a little bit more practical information about how one would even go about developing or honing leadership behaviors or skills. Where do you start with your students and how do you get started on this path? So leadership is really complicated because there's no, it's not a discipline. It's not like social psychology or economics that there's a, an established canon, that there's, you know, a set of readings and you pass a comprehensive exam and, and you, you know, you know the, the consensual knowledge about a discipline. Leadership is everywhere. It's everything, right? Leadership is journalism. It's religion. It's history. It's, it's psychology. It's like, it's economics. It's everywhere. And because of that, there's so much out there that calls itself leadership, and, and maybe it is. I don't know. But how do we even, you know, when I first started teaching leadership, I, I thought, oh, I have got to help my students to be a better consumer of leadership literature. And it was so hard that I, I actually just decided I had to write my own workbook. And I decided rather than, you know, focus on theories of leadership and exemplars, you know, role models of leadership and the history of leadership and the philosophy of, and all these different things is to figure out your own leadership development. How can I help my students to figure out what leadership means to them, what skills they want to identify in order to, to be better at leading, to make a bigger difference in their lives? We start by thinking about what's our definition of leadership, which I asked your readers to do at the beginning. And another thing we do is to ask you to think about what's your earliest leadership experience. What are the five events in your life that have shaped you or made you who you are? Who do you admire? Do you look up to? Why? Who have you learned from? Again, how do you define success? What's the best advice you've ever received? What's your definition of, of leadership? Going back to that. So my idea for people to learn and grow in the context of leadership is that it requires two processes. 
One is individual written reflection, where you sit down and you write down your answer to the question. Let's just take what's the best advice you ever received. You sit down and you say, hmm, who did I hear this from? When was it? Was it a family member, a teacher, uh, you know, a, a relative? Uh, when was I young? Was I older? What context was it in? And then you write down the advice. And so now you have data. You have the data of your experience. You have written down the best advice you've ever received. Now, the importance of writing something down is that it actually becomes data because data is observable. If you don't write something down, it's a figment of your imagination. It's, it just can disappear or you can misremember or you can believe something that isn't what happened or isn't, isn't what you thought was so. But if you have it in writing, then that is data. It's observable to yourself and it's observable to others. So you can collect the data you can process it, you can, you can organize it, you can share it. So once you have the data of your experience, then the next stage is collective wisdom. So you get together with others in teaching and learning and expanding that um, knowledge, that, that, um, the knowledge that you have as an individual. I think we all have much more knowledge than we recognize. We have much more leadership capital than we maybe understand. And by sharing and, and teaching together, we can expand that to people we care about. And so the, that's how we start. We just start with our own experiences, try to elaborate them, put them in writing, share with others, learn from others. So we go back to the best advice we ever received. Your listeners can think about what's the best advice they ever received, right? right? Why is that leadership? Well, that's leadership because it has to do with wisdom. It has to do with capacity. It has to do with, do you have the courage to act on that advice? Why did you choose that? That advice must have had some meaning to you. It must be significant to you, or you would have chosen something else. So why did you choose that advice? Same with the question, what's your earliest leadership experience? Why did you choose that experience? There's not a wrong answer. So there's a reason. There's something about your definition of leadership that had you choose that example of a leadership experience. What is it? Why did you choose that one? So this is like knowledge to be mined. And when you write it down, you can process it and you can hold on to it and you can access it again later. And the wonderful thing about this is that you can do this in, in you know, asynchronously. <laughs> you can, you can do this over Zoom. You can have, you can meet with your friends. You can do this in your own time. And then, you know, the, the individual reflection and then, find a time to create collective wisdom. That actually ties really well into what we're trying to do here on the podcast is provide, you know, information to build a foundation for our listeners in some business related topics that will tie nicely into, you know, medical and clinical practice. Once we've done some of the reflection that you've described and kind of have conceptualized a little bit more the meaning of leadership to each of us as individuals, how do you transition from that more kind of abstract thinking mode to applicable action and kind of carrying out the next steps that would bring about the desired outcomes that you'd value in your life? So I would say to start with one or two behaviors. So let me let me tell you how I think about this. And I think this is very concrete and very practical. So we have defaults, right? We have habits. We're very smart. We're very capable. So we have really good habits. So 
I call it defaults because it's like a program running in the back of your, you know, in the background, and you, it only changes if you turn off the default. In psychology, these are called biases or heuristics. Um, people tend to think biases are negative because of the, you know, common meaning of bias has a negative connotation. But in psychology, bias simply means tendency toward. It doesn't have a, a valence. It does. It's not a good or a bad thing. It just is. So we have biases, we have tendencies toward, and these tendencies are habits of mind, habits that um, defaults that we have generated across time because they work for us, they're successful. But once in a while, uh, if, if we change our situation or if we realize that something that maybe serves us well much of the time might not serve us well always, that we want to experiment with that behavior. So what I would tell your listeners and what I tell my students is to identify one or two defaults that tend to serve you well, but could lead you astray and to try to do experiments. So I'm an experimental social psychologist and I don't think we should leave uh, science to the scientists. I think that we can do experiments in our own life and all it takes is for us to change a behavior, right? So they're kind of like four steps. In order to experiment, in order to collect the data of your own experience, you need to change a behavior, turn off a default. You need to collect the data. So what happens when I do this, when I change, when I do X instead of Y, what happens? Get the feedback, process that understanding, reflect, and then do it again. So you want to at least try your new behavior three times because that will give you a trend. I would do it more, but at least three times you'll be able to see from your results, does the outcome improve? Does it, does it get worse? Does it stay the same? So the best thing you can do to change your behaviors and improve your outcomes is to, you know, you can think about which leadership behaviors do you want to work on? Do you want to improve? You know, you could try listening more. That's a really important behavior. Um, you know, smart people, we like to have the answers. We think we know what other people are going to say. We want to save time and be efficient. And it's sometimes hard to listen. And so practicing listening is actually a really difficult skill for smart people who know the answers and want to be effective and, and are busy people. These ideas might sound simple, but they're not simplistic. Choosing the right situation when I should be quiet, when I should choose my timing better to be more effective when I should listen more. These are hard behavioral changes to make. And so I would have your readers think about what are the situations they're in? What tends to derail them? Or in your heart of hearts, what do you know that you do too often that you shouldn't? Or what would you like to do more of? It takes courage to change our behaviors. It takes courage to, to figure out what is it that we need to work on? What do we need to develop? And you know what? Not all of your readers are ready to do that. Not all of my students are ready to go there. You know, that's what's important about these kinds of questions, these perceptive questions. They meet you wherever you are. If you want to go deep, you can go deep. If you want to stay on the surface, you can stay on the surface. So part of the reflection about leadership and how we develop these skills or how we change behaviors that maybe we shouldn't be doing as often is deciding when is a good time to implement these new skills or behaviors. 
So how do you go about identifying situations or environments where maybe managing or following are more appropriate rather than stepping up leadership behaviors? I've been focusing on leading and managing and following is really complicated as well. The theories of followership have two dimensions in common and it won't surprise you. These dimensions are, are basically thinking and action. So the one that I use in the book and the one that I teach from is Kelly's theory of followership. And he basically says that there are two dimensions. You can have engagement, which can be, you know, low or high. And then you can have critical thinking, which can be low or high. So if you put this together in a two by two factorial, you can be low on engagement and high on critical thinking, right? Or you could be low on both or high on both. So when, we, when we're low in, in critical thinking and low in active engagement, then that's sheep. That's what people think of as followers. That's the stereotypical follower, right? And who wants to be a follower? Nobody wants to be among the sheep. But there are all these other quadrants, and the most important place to be as a follower is high in active engagement and high in critical thinking. And those followership skills are very similar to effective leadership and management skills. So the question of when to lead, when to manage, and when to follow I think that we are following most of the time. When we are leading, as I said before, we are in the present. We are, you know, we're taking care of patients. We're meeting the street's expectations. If we're in business, we are doing the budget. Uh, we're making sure we have diapers at home. Whatever, whatever is our context, we are getting the work done. And that's incredibly important. And that's, I mean, it's even noble. Management is noble. You know, management is what allows people to live their dreams. Management is what allows people to send their, you know, children to school. If we don't have a good present, then we can't have a future. So management is creating a great present, an excellent present, a great status quo. Now, leadership is probably the least frequent behavior between following and managing. Because leadership usually comes about, we leave the present to go to an uncertain future only when there's some dissatisfaction with the present, with the status quo. So I'm, I'm talking about when you make a choice. Sometimes the, the world impinges on us and it forces us to change the status quo, to change the present. But I'm talking about when leadership is a choice. So you, Ashley, and your listeners don't want to make this choice too often because it means leaving the solid ground of the present and going to a place that doesn't exist yet. And that's a risky behavior, and that takes courage. In order to go to a place that doesn't exist, you have to have a vision of a better future. And earlier, we talked about my students who said, where do they get a vision? Well, where do you, where do you get a vision? From your deep knowledge of the present, from management, from understanding how things work, why things happen, what, what's the contingency between what I do and what I get? And what about trust? Trust is built in the present. When you're managing, trust is built in the present. We withdraw it in the future. We withdraw it when we're leading, but we build it in the here and now, in the everyday actions of management, which are noble. So if you have some, and it could be a small dissatisfaction, right? We can have leadership with a lowercase l, or we can have leadership with a capital L. We go to a place that doesn't exist. We have a vision of a better tomorrow, we have to have a strong confidence in ourself to believe in that. And then we need to have the commitment of the people who are following. So when you're managing, you need people's heads. 
if you have their heart, that's fine, but you don't need their heart. You've got the present. You've got a map. You're following a map. That's the metaphor. When you make a choice to lead, there's no map. The terrain is uncharted. The best you can do is have a sense of direction. So my, my symbol for leading is the compass. So you have a sense of direction. You're going someplace that doesn't exist. It's uncharted territory. And you need to have the hearts and the minds of the people who are following you because they have to believe in your vision of the future. And you might be taking them over a cliff because you've never been to the future either. You don't know if it's there, what you hope for, your better future, your, your vision. So that's why you don't want to make the choice to lead too often because you'll wear yourself and everybody else out. There's a lot of anxiety in changing and in creating a different future. Most of the time we're managing, we should be following. And once in a while, we have the, the conviction to do capital L leadership. And then in small ways, we could make leadership choices daily or weekly as well with the lowercase l. But I think that it's not that we lead too much. I think that we make the choice too little, the small, the small lowercase l choices. We, we tend to wait for these big transformational opportunities. And um, so I think that we should step up with the lowercase l opportunities, with individuals, with colleagues, with family members, to be more of a positive influence in their lives, to help them change their futures, to make small, to make choices about how we spend our time every day, to make a bigger difference. Those are leadership behaviors. You know, no monuments are built to, to leaders with lowercase l's, but their lives, they enrich their lives and the lives of everyone around them in ways that are, you know, incalculable. They're, they're, we, we just, we can never know the effects of that. I think that um, we all, each need to understand better when we lead, when we follow, when we manage, and to actually appreciate and value all three of these behaviors. You've developed a curriculum for leadership development that has been very effective and, you know, You've mentioned a little bit how we can use asynchronous learning as a big tool in, in doing this. What are some of the resources? Um, you know, we've mentioned your workbook, um, but do you have any additional resources, courses, practice environments that you would recommend for our listeners who are interested in maybe taking a little bit more of a deeper dive and um, doing some more self-reflection? Sure. I think that, um, I, I know I'm biased because I'm an experimental social psychologist, but I am here to tell you that social psychology is the most useful discipline for personal and professional development. And I really mean this with everything in my being. I would suggest that all of your listeners learn more about experimental social psychology. And so this means you could read books by social psychologists so I can give you a couple examples that I think that I give my students that I think are amazing. One is Bob Cialdini is a social psychologist who wrote one of the most influential books. It's called Influence Science and Practice by Bob Cialdini. And he's one of the best writers in all of social psychology. And that book is a staple for understanding interpersonal influence, which is very important for leading and managing and, and um, uh, interpersonal dynamics. Another one of my favorite writers is Dan Gilbert. He wrote Stumbling on Happiness, 
He's a social psychologist at Harvard, and he has two podcasts that I would recommend you, your listeners. Uh, one is about happiness, and the other is about um, the end of history illusion. So this is actually fascinating, and this is, ties into to, um, developing yourself and leadership. They did research. This, this podcast um, goes over the research that they took people like, say, 20 to 30 years old, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 60 to 70. And in every group, they asked a variety of questions. And each group, independent of their age, they each basically said, yes, I have changed a lot in the last 10 years, but I'm finished. I'm fully formed now. So whether they were 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, everyone thought they changed a lot in the last decade, but they were finished. <laughs> they were done now. They were complete. And so they called this the end of history illusion, that wherever we are, we think it's the end of history. But look, look at how much more growth we have. You know, as long as you're alive, you have an opportunity to make better choices. As long as you're alive, you have an opportunity to change, to decide what is your definition of success, to decide how you want to enrich human life. And so I love, I love this uh, research and, and this podcast uh, summarizes it very nicely. So I would, again, I would recommend that your listeners seek out works by social psychologists. So rather than tell you specific courses or such, look at the background. It's really important to look at the background of the people, the authors of the books you read. Are they an economist? Then they're, they're writing through an economic lens. You know, is it a psychologist? What kind of psychologist? A clinician? That's a clinical lens. A social psychologist has an experimental data lens that they go through, right? Experimental social psychology. So I know you mentioned uh, choosing leadership, the workbook. And what I've been trying to do with this workbook is to create resources so that people could learn on their own. So I have to tell you that because Business of Medicine series... There are several uh, medical schools who are using choosing leadership as a leadership development with residents. And so what they're doing is using the workbook, right, getting groups of people together, um, doing the reflection and then the collective wisdom. And there are resources there. I have videos. So you can use a video to kickstart a discussion with your peers. If you decide to do this, if any of you listening would like to put a group together, there are seven short videos. So one of them is, what's your definition of leadership? So I, I introduce this question and then I leave it for you. And then you could sit down and, and write your definition of leadership. And then you could create this collective wisdom and get together with, with people. So you can create your own curriculum. And that's why I mentioned earlier, I think that I am hoping to seed a grassroots leadership development movement. I want people everywhere to take more responsibility for their own growth. And my hope is after listening to this, you might want to do it. Professor Ginzel, thank you so much for being on our show. It's been truly an honor speaking with you. And I think it's been inspirational to kind of hear your take on how leadership development and being thoughtful about the behaviors that we partake in every day can really impact our future and um, how we can use that to provide happiness or whatever your definition of leadership may be uh, on a daily basis. Do you have any last words of advice for our listeners? Oh, my goodness. I, um, I probably have already said it, but I think that as long as we're alive, we can make a bigger difference. You know, I teach executives and um, sometimes they come into my office and tell me their disappointments in their choices when they were younger. And what I say to them is that it's not over yet, that <laughs> as long as we're alive, we have an opportunity to make better choices, to make learning 
and leadership indispensable in our lives. And that's what I hope each of you will do. Thank you so much, Professor Ginzel. Thank you. Well, folks, that about wraps up our episode of ENT in a Nutshell. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.